Hello and welcome to Living in the New Next, a podcast brought to you by Microsoft sharing the stories and insights of how business owners are both surviving and evolving through COVID. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. And we are your co-hosts for this special mini-series. We're also the co-hosts of the Don't Stop Us Now podcast. Indeed we are. In today's episode of Living in the New Next, we meet with Karen Orcock, owner and director of MA Architects in Melbourne. When we all started working from home earlier this year, little did Karen know she was going to have to keep her business going for months in lockdown, thanks to Melbourne's strict COVID rules. That's right. And it's been so fascinating to hear how Karen and her team have had to adapt and use new technologies to help keep them going and keep them connected and collaborating. Indeed. And as you'll hear in today's episode, Karen and her firm have actually found that using tools like Teams for remote working has expanded their horizons of what's possible in terms of collaborating and working with other architects overseas. We think you'll love Karen's stories, insights and advice on adapting, thriving and living in the new next. Enjoy this conversation. Karen, welcome to Living in the New Next. Thank you. Now, a question that we love to ask guests when we first meet them is, you know, how would you describe to someone you were meeting at a dinner party for the first time what you do? Well, I think the initial statement of being an architect, I put that on the table and see where the conversation goes. In Melbourne, you either love architects or hate architects, so you've really got to get a sense of the environment you're in before you take the story any further. But I've done a number of projects in Melbourne that are relatively well-known in sort of multi-residential housing, and often it, it turns into a conversation about some of those projects, which can always be really interesting. Fantastic. Tell us a bit about your childhood. I think from what I've read, you've you had a really uh, nomadic childhood in some senses, being an expat. I grew up in Werribee, which is quite a fair way away from Melbourne. And when we were four, headed over to Hong Kong, and it was really, it was early 70s. And I think it was quite a culture shock for my mum. And I think we became much more international children in, in the four years that we were over there. Came back to Melbourne and then headed over to London for about four years and then headed to Canberra. So we had a bit of a broad experience of the world by the time I was sort of in year eight. And what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be an architect from my early teens. So I was living in the UK and my uncle lived in Milton Keynes, which is a sort of 1970s urban experiment, I suppose. And he was very interested in architecture. He was actually a teacher of the deaf, but had wanted to be an architect. And so every weekend involved us going around looking at some building or other and really learning about the history of architecture in the UK. And I think it struck a chord with me and you know, I carried that through high school and was lucky enough to get into university because I wasn't necessarily the top student of my year. And I actually had to go and plead at Canberra University to get into the course. Wow. How amazing that you got to do that with your uncle. That's brilliant. Yeah. And then after uni, how did you come to start up your own firm? I finished at Canberra, came down to Melbourne. I was always quite strategic about what I wanted to get out of architecture. And I do say I'm an architect with a capital A. I'm really passionate about the profession and, you know, the contribution it can make. And I'd been working for a couple of years and I started working for a firm called Neometro, which is actually a construction building and architecture practice because 
although I love the sort of work that we do as a practice, the focus is very much on everyday architecture and in housing and trying to provide good housing for people. And as a younger architect, I started working with Neo Metro and I was really interested in this idea of integrating development with architecture. And I was a director there for about 10 years and then I felt I'd learned that lesson and I felt that it was time then to move into a pure architecture practice. I'd sort of learnt the stuff about development and building and, and that's really what happened and I felt I just had the confidence to do it for myself. Yeah, well, it sounds like that was a really wise move. And can you describe the kind of work that MA Architecture does? We do multi-residential work. I mean, we consider ourselves housing specialists. And we certainly do everything from extensions to single dwellings to multi-residential. But our history has always been in multi-residential. And as I say, we're around the sort of 50 apartments. And we like to place ourselves in the market where we do really good designs, but we do them so they can be delivered. And that's the sort of market that we're in. What about architecture makes you most passionate? Well, I really do love what I do. And I spent half an hour on the phone to one of our ex-staff in Berlin, just raving about a project that we're doing at the moment and sort of just getting a buzz out of it. There are times where you walk onto site and you see something that you've designed, realised, and it is just the best high. And the collaboration, actually, that we do, whether it be in the practice or with builders or developers, I really enjoy that as well. And as I say, I was talking to this ex-staff member, we worked on a job and it's almost finished. And, you know, there's such a buzz in the office about it. It's exciting. And we do so much different stuff. You know, I might be on site. I might be building a model in 3D. We might be cutting something up and sort of playing with a shape or it's such a broad variety of things that we work on. It's really enjoyable. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating. And how fantastic, yeah, to just love it that way. You can really hear it in your voice. I'd love us now to cast our minds back to that time in March where suddenly it was like, coronavirus 19 was hitting town across the world and here in Australia we were all having to go into lockdown. What was going through your mind in terms of trying to keep the business running and how you would do that? What were you feeling? I'm actually an identical twin. She's a lawyer by profession but she actually works at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute. Which for listeners is a big medical research institute, yes? Yeah. So you know, that obviously had a few flags that it was going to be bigger than anyone anticipated. You know, a few weeks before it became a reality of, of having to move out of the office, my sister Jo's like, Karen, you need to get yourself organised. You're, you're going to have to be working out of the office. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And we were relatively lucky because we do run on a fairly, I mean, I work on a laptop all the time. I'm working in and out of the office. I understand how to use our software in and out of the office. We've just upgraded to the MBN internally. We might have been over on um, Office 365 for only a few months, actually. We just moved over to Outlook and we'd sort of done a whole rehash of all our computer systems. Lucky. And so we started talking about, you know, how we were going to handle it. And because we'd sort of been thinking about it a few weeks before it actually happened, we were reasonably well prepared. I think the shock was that I remember sitting downstairs and sort of saying it to staff, 
And the staff were like, nah, never going to happen, you know. But in the background, uh, my sister can be extremely persistent. In the background, we were sort of getting a few things done just in case we, we had to move quite quickly. So it was relatively seamless for us. So that was quite good. Which is lucky and, and what great foresight, although it probably wasn't really genuinely foresight at the time, but to upgrade all your sort of software systems some months prior, what prompted that? I call us a little big practice. So there's only eight of us and I'm really interested actually in how technology can make what we do better. And a few years ago, we'd gone from 2D software to 3D computer software. And we'd really felt that that had provided a lot of efficiencies for the practice. And I'm also interested in when you do go over to these software programs, you really want to, you want to go with the best system for you. And you really don't want to have too many software programs. You want to have, you know, so we've got our CAD program, we've got InDesign, and then we really wanted something that was fully integrated. And, you know, we were using Word, so it made sense for us to go over to Outlook and really get everything integrated in it. So it was really sort of a an exercise in reduction to really make sure that the software and the hardware and everything we were using was as efficient and as useful as possible. It always amazes me when people have staff working on crappy computers. I mean, these are the tools of everybody's trade and employers won't keep them on really good technology and we do make a point of making sure that our computers are you know, up-to-date, software, organised, everything like that. And it does make a lot of difference and it certainly did at the beginning of the year. Yeah, well, how extraordinary in that timing. And, of course, Melbourne has been through one of the world's toughest lockdown periods. How has this affected how you work together as a team and with the tools that you've been using to stay connected? The first lockdown was fine because I think we were probably only out of the office for four to six weeks and then we were back in the office sort of sporadically and, you know, that was fine. Now I think we might have been out of the office for three months and as a sole director, for me personally, it's very hard to organise, you know, eight people remotely and we tried to think about how to deal with that. So the very first thing we did is pair up our staff, so a senior person with a junior person which gave me some freedom and also meant that the staff had a primary connection point. And we found that that worked really well. So that took a lot of pressure off me and also meant that the more senior staff always had a junior person that they could get to help them. And we sort of put ourselves into little cells. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's something we were interested in doing in the practice. What we found that when we were out of the practice, it actually worked a lot better. And what working out of the practice also did, you know, I'm a bit of a maniac at the office, you know, sort of always things going on and, uh, you know, dealing with five people at once. What we found, of course, when you're out of the office, you lose that ability to deal with multiple problems in a very short period of time and life became much more linear, which meant that things took a lot longer. So we set up a structure that we catch up by teams three times a day, so sort of 9.30 in the morning, lunchtime and end of the day, just to give everybody an opportunity to touch base, deal with some of the things that you haven't had to deal with individually. And then also what happens is I'd usually poke my head in, say hi, and the staff actually work at their computers and keep teams on in the background so they can just sort of chitter-chatter to each other or whilst they're tapping away. They're not even looking at each other. They're just listening to each other, tapping away, and it just helps break down some of the, because the biggest issue for us actually has been the collaboration. I mean, we could certainly collaborate electronically, but the 
ability to sit around a table and sort of scribble and and have that instant physical interaction is sort of missing. So we've sort of worked out different ways of doing it, which has been quite interesting. So we've found that, you know, there's been a lot of innovation over teams, which we have really tried to capitalise on as well. And you mentioned that you tried a few different things in terms of collaboration. Can you explain a couple of those for us? Yeah, we definitely, uh, there's a lot of holding up images to the camera, (laughs) which is sort of amusing. Although we had 365, we didn't actually use Teams as a project management system before COVID. And now we use it religiously. We find it so useful to have the chats for each project so everybody knows what's going on. You have this shared resource for all the information that you need with collaboration. I mean, we've actually got some guy in Berlin doing some work for us that we've been able to collaborate with remotely through Teams. You know, so those sorts of just really saying, okay, what is available to us through various softwares and how can we leverage it to do what we want? And so we've just been really pushing and pulling and, you know, it may be the daggy piece of paper in front of the window or it might be, you know, using something more sophisticated, but we're just sort of poking everything we can to get the most out of it and we've found it quite useful. I mean, we also use 3D software, so we're always sharing screens and that sort of stuff and turning our little pictures on as we point things out and whatever. And how fantastic that you've been able to collaborate with somebody in Berlin. Is that something that you would have done pre-COVID or not? No way. Wow. It definitely has changed the way we operate. It's personally changed the way I run the practice, actually. I mean, it's opened doors and it's also meant that I've had to be more considered. In fact, we've all had to be more considered about the way we manage staff. So you have to be organised. Staff really want to be able to get on with it. And so we found ourselves perhaps a little bit more structured giving people sort of more packages of work rather than being as reactive as you might be in the office. So we've found that. Yeah, and because I am always running at full tilt, having someone in Berlin working on a job with you is great because when I get home, when I am at home but at the end of the day, I'll have a chat to him on Teams and in the morning he'll come back with the stuff he's been working on then I, you know, work on it during the day then I give it to him. It's like a 24-hour practice. (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. And you talked a bit about your team and the fact that they needed more structure in this environment. But what else have you found that you've had to do in order to keep the culture of the organisation going? That is by far the biggest challenge. I mean, I think people are working a lot hard. I mean, people always worked hard in the practice, but because you had more efficiency. Now, the efficiency was nothing to do with how hard people were working. It was just about the spontaneity that you get in a practice and also that ability for people to be listening in on conversations that's very hard to do electronically. So, you know, people are exhausted. So, Getting up morale, you know, just being able to have a laugh, as I say, that the sort of chatting in the background whilst you're doing work. We've tried to play some games electronically. That's been quite amusing. It was complemented by some cocktails I had delivered everybody, so it did get a bit raucous. Nice idea. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was good. I mean, we just, you know, we've had lunch together and things like that. But I think using things like, I don't know, Pictionary online and, and those sorts of things have proved to be quite good. We've always been a practice that has a mind of a little bit of dancing or carrying on. So there's always a bit of dancing and carrying on in the background. It's really just not, you can't take it too seriously. Everybody is so tired and overwhelmed that 
the most important thing is just to keep a bit of a smile on your face, I think. <laughs> yeah, and no, I couldn't agree with you more. I think humour is absolutely critical, mm. particularly now. You know, you're talking about the cultural pieces and well-being. How have you helped your team get through this sort of new age of sort of always on technology everywhere? How do you create a sense of well-being for your team? Mm. The reason that we run our daily catch-ups at 9.30 and 4.30 is really to try and get people to tune out, but it is almost impossible I think it's just about not trying to try not to send things to people late at night and encourage people to turn their computers off. But unfortunately, you can only make the suggestions and, you know, often architects are quite obsessive as well. And so it is really hard to try and manage a break. You know, trying to encourage people to go for a walk whilst it's still daylight, letting people organise their own time. I mean, one of the things that I've definitely learned from this is you know, in an office environment, when you're in it all the time, there's a certain sense of director management. And I think what's happened, what I've certainly discovered is the staff don't need that, actually. I mean, they get on with it. I'm not behind their shoulder telling them what to do. And they are all working so incredibly hard. So, um, you know, it's been a fantastic learning curve for me about, you know, how dedicated these guys are. And you talked about the enhancements and extra flexibility that technology has given you in the business. I think if I'm right that you've also taken on an extra sort of role outside of the business, you know, in the industry, thanks to being able to use technology and do that remotely. Is that right? Yeah. In November last year, I was um, elected onto the Architects Registration Board of Victoria and in March I became its chair. And basically, we'd already started doing remote meetings. And I just, I don't think I could have done it unless unless I was able to turn up to meetings remotely, because I just wouldn't have had the time. And yeah, it's had its challenges, but it's certainly allowed me to do that role whilst also managing the practice. It allows us to get a better pool of people involved in projects in these sorts of boards and whatnot, but also just more flexibility. And I think, I think that's a real positive Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And let's say that we all have to keep remote working to some degree much further out. Mm. What would be the biggest challenge for you if that were to happen? I think it's just, I think everybody needs a holiday. I try to encourage my staff even to take a week off, but they they haven't quite clued on to the fact that spending a week at home not working actually isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, so I think it's just the holiday rather than anything else. People just getting a break you know, coming back refreshed, that's the thing that is the biggest challenge. We can't look at the way we work the same as we have before because COVID has proved that nothing's guaranteed. So I think, yeah, just understanding though, you have to take some time for yourself. You've got to take some time off. Yeah, that makes sense. And when it comes to considering any other technologies, I know you've integrated a lot of technology into your business. What would be on your wish list right now that would really help the business going forward? A uh, picnic in the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, lockdown gone. <laughs> I'm not sure how technology is going to help that. Time travel. Um, we are very, you know, my favourite purchase is technology. And so it's not like, you know, everybody's got a tablet, everybody's got a fast computer, you know. I think what we need to do is harness the software that we have now even more because I think it's incredibly powerful. Because I feel like we've really got such a great broad range already 
It's just about learning how to use it more. My computer aptitude, if you like, has improved so much from COVID, just understanding how to set up my computer and how to deal with the windows. And so it's probably more about education. Karen, if you had just one piece of advice for other small business owners out there about how to deal with the changes that, you know, remote working has created, you know, what would that piece of advice be? Well, I think you need to be flexible, flexible and nimble. I mean, that's always the way we've run the practice and it, and it has worked for us. I think you've got to communicate with your staff, obviously, that's so critical. Yeah, and I think just look for innovation and how, whether it be your hardware or your software or anything can benefit your business and don't be afraid to look outside the square. Yeah, great advice. What about advice on adopting new technology to help you get work done and and sort of evolve successfully? What would your advice be? I wouldn't be afraid to give anything a go. I think we've uh, tested a couple of things through COVID that haven't worked, but then we've tested a lot of things that have worked. And I think you've got to work out the right fit for you. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Karen, for sharing your great journey and your great advice it's been really interesting to hear how you've had to really change your business and but utilize technology in a way that has actually made your business that much more flexible and that much more collaborative and you know empowering your team in the way you've done now if anyone is listening and needs an architect right now what would you like to say to them? Maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I would say to them is choosing your architect is like choosing your favourite jacket. You know, not every jacket fits and you do need to choose your architect carefully because often the relationship that you have with your architect might go for three years or four years and it does become a fairly uh, a personal relationship. And, of course, MA Architects is the best architect, but we may not be the best architect for you. And I think that's what people really need to understand. Yeah, absolutely. And so if they are sitting here listening and going, I love MA Architects and what, what they stand for. And I love what Karen said. And I said. need a multi-residential and, building. And I need a multi-residential <laughs> building, exactly. Where would they go to find you? To our website, maarchitects.com.au. Fantastic. Well, it just leaves me to say thank you so much, Karen, for joining us and sharing your amazing story. And we can't wait to see where you go to next and how you use technology in even more innovative ways. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been very interesting. 